Hello everyone and welcome to Rad Chat, the first therapeutic radiographer-led oncology podcast. Welcome to our bonus radiotherapy series. My name is Jo McNamara and I'm joined by fellow host named Jelka Anderson. Hi everyone. Today we will be talking all things radiotherapy skincare. So there is a disclaimer to this podcast. We won't be giving any specific advice as you do need to speak to your radiotherapy team for this. But anything we do talk about is based on evidence-based information from the Society College of Radiographers. So, hi Naaman, thank you so much for doing um, this podcast around skincare. I think it's something that um, lots of patients who've contacted us via social media have asked for, so it's great to be able to kind of share your expertise and experiences. So, Naaman, what is the skin and what's the difference between skin tones? Thanks, Jo. Um, So, if you don't know, skin is the largest organ in the body or of the body. It makes up roughly 15% of our body weight. Um, so there's lots of different specialist roles. Um, two kind of main ones are around thermoregulation. So when you're cold or when you're warm, it kind of helps with that. And also as a protection barrier. So just as we're walking around, breathing, living, it's protecting our insides from anything on the outside. So skin's kind of composed of three main aspects. So the top kind of bit, on more on the surface and going slightly in maybe less than a centimetre in is about uh, is the epidermis and then below that is the dermis and then the subcutaneous tissue which is further down. So the epidermis is made up of some very important structures called keratinocytes. So what they do is they synthesise a protective protein called keratin. Um, so this kind of keratin it helps look after that aspect of the skin all over the body. And within the basal layer, which is part of the epidermis, um, there are stem cells. So these stem cells, if you don't know, what happens is they will replicate and kind of help um, if there's a wound within the area. So if anything's, I don't know, if you're ever injured, stem cells are part of the process of helping improve and make that area a bit better. A bit lower down is the dermis. This is slightly deeper and a bit bigger. It contains lots of different kind of protein structures um, called collagen. Um sorry so lots of structures are made up of the protein collagen um and then the structural elements within this there are the nerves so the hair follicles kind of start from here uh, you've got the sweat glands and then you've also got some of the blood vessels um so usually like the capillaries which will help with some of that thermoregulation as well and absorbing anything that might be killed off or dying so it's cells that are absorbed in from the area below that is a subcutaneous tissue that's made up of lipocytes so these are the fat cells um which are quite abundant in certain parts of the body and some areas that might be a bit thinner. So skin tone is very interesting. It's obviously one of the first things you see when you look at someone. Um, There's a specific element within the skin that's produced and it gives us our skin tone. It's called melanin. So there's two different types. There's the brown black eumelanin, uh, which is more abundant in people with darker hair. Um, So someone like me, so gives me my darker features. um, So my darker hair, darker eyes and darker skin tone. And then there's another part of another type of melanin called, which is a yellowy red pheomelanin. So that colours the pinkish parts of the body, uh, such as the lips or the nipples. So normally people with lighter skin tones will have less eumelanin than they will, um, the, than sort of um, darker skin tone people. So when ultraviolet radiation, so as we walk around every day, 24-7, there's always rays from the sun um, coming onto into the earth. So when that UV radiation hits our skin, what it does is it promotes or kind of stimulates a process called melanogenesis. So melanogenesis, obviously it's got melanin within the word, um, if you haven't guessed already, it's the production of melanin. So producing that pigment, which makes our skin a bit darker. So obviously the more light that hits your skin, 
you know you get tanned or you get redder etc so what happens is these melanosomes will move up into the epidermis layer so from lower down into the epidermis or more the superficial part of the skin um, and they move to the keratinocytes so what i said earlier that synthesizes that protein keratin and what happens is the melanosomes will stay on the superficial part of the nucleus of these cells so closer to the surface of the skin and what they'll do is they'll be protecting kind of the genetic in you know genetic um, material within the nucleus from any damage from skin so as we know radiation um, can break dna so it stops that happening in those um in the nucleus in that area and while it's on the surface it's basically absorbing as much light as possible um at the same time so it's basically just being a bit more efficient at doing this and this is kind of how we tan um so as that uh, as melanosomes move to the surface more light is being absorbed basically to protect that layer um, and then more pro there's more production of the um, pigment melanin so then our skin tone will become either redder or then a bit darker so actually interestingly these melanosomes are more clustered in people who have darker skin to provide more protection um, and actually this whole kind of area of tanning it's why it's kind of described in lots of different studies across the world as being similar to that of erythema or redness and i'll come on to why that's kind of important a bit later in the podcast but there's lots of different skin tone shades um as we know there's obviously people from lots of different backgrounds across the world that will meet there is a very i'm gonna well th there's an observational tool like a self-reported tool called the fitzpatrick scale and that's what's always been used to classify skin um this scale has been found to have lots of kind of issues or lots of discrepancies with how people use it, um, especially how people are classified. So there's lots of studies that have looked at kind of mainly ethnically diverse background patients or people, and they found that the scale wasn't fit for purpose. Um, so if you're wondering why it's not fit for purpose, it's because it was originally designed to classify lighter skin tones only. So there are six uh, elements of this tool but the first four were only ever designed for lighter skin tone people and then later the darker end um so the number five and number six were added on um so i think this is probably why that if something's been based on lighter skin tones it's going to be difficult to classify darker skin tones using the same sort of methodology so there's a lot of research into how our skin tones have kind of um varied and become a kind of basically how as humans we've become who we are so over the last 900 i think 900,000 years or so the kind of the main theories point towards us as humans originating from several regions of africa so after we lost our fur um yes we did used to have fur before we just had smooth skin um then we all sort of diversified into three main traits so there was the west african trait east asian trait and then the north european trait so the north european one saw more of the skin lightening events due to the lower levels of uv radiation further away from the equator um, I'll come on to this in a bit more detail in a second. So humans sort of emerged around 300,000 years ago in Africa, um, but some of the paler skin genes originate from a lot before this time. And actually the European descent people, um, so, you know, from that North European trait who have uh, paler skin, actually all originate from Africa. So it's all about us. We've all come from Africa originally and we moved further away. Um, just as human nature is, just exploring and finding new places to settle. So skin pigmentation or skin tone, as I've said, is the most noticeable phenotype. You know, when you look at someone, it's one of the first things you notice. The main theory really revolves around natural selection. Um, and there's a, a very big link to latitude and the amount of ultraviolet radiation intensity kind of in the area. So if you ever look at a map, looking at the equator, um, 
usually people around there um they all look kind of have higher levels of uv radiation coming that's where the sun kind of rays are most intense and further away so obviously where it gets colder um, and snow doesn't kind of melt as much that's where there's less uv radiation coming through so skin pigmentation is darker in equatorial and tropical regions where the uv levels are higher the main thing to look at kind of how we as humans kind of survive and function around sunlight is that there needs to be a balance between photoprotection um, so not getting any skin damage from the radiation, but then also vitamin D3 since this, which is really important for our bodies. Um, so darker skin tone has a higher biological advantage under high UV, uh, basically to protect from UV kind of induced sunburn or especially UVA rays, uh, which go in a bit deeper within into the dermis. So UVB um, stays more towards the epidermis, but UVA goes into the uh, into the dermis, so lower down. Uh, so lighter skin tones have a biological advantage in regions from the so further away from the equator. So, you know, for example, I live in London, so quite far away from the equator. Um, so, yeah, so lighter skin tones, um, more of a biological advantage further away from the equator. It's where UV rays are lower and actually UVB radiation is needed more to synthesize vitamin D because that's the one, <clears throat> excuse me, further away, doesn't go as deep into the skin. So darker skin tones um, kind of more studies have been looking at you know the structural elements or biological elements and how they manage under the sun so darker skin tones have been found to have an interesting sun protection factor so spf so imagine when you go on holiday or you know it's a sunny day here in england um you put on sun cream which has an spf factor which you can see usually 30 or 50 sometimes 60 as well so darker skin tones have a normal spf factor within like the structure of their skin of 13.4 which is quite high when compared to 3.4 um, which is in lighter skin tones so dark skin actually transmits about 7.4 percent of uvb so the type of radi uh, uv radiation that only goes into the dermis when compared to 29.4 percent in lighter skin so obviously people who live further away from the equator they need that uvb to synthesize vitamin d3 so that's why they're transmitting more of that uvb through their skin so for lighter skin tones 29.4 percent so a study in 1979 actually found that five times less UV radiation reaches the upper dermis of um, darker skin when compared to lighter skin tones due to the, the more efficient distribution. So, you know, as I said, the melanosomes are more clustered in darker skin tones. So that efficient distribution, you know, just inside normal darker skin tone. So darker skin tone patients or people have also been found to have less um, skin cancer rates than lighter skin tones as well. However, um, I think as people from some of these regions so for example i'm indian background but i've moved further away as more and more people move away that genetic kind of distribution and everything does change a bit and how our bodies adapt to how we take um kind of uv radiation through but hopefully this kind of shows joe the differences between skin tones like how everything is very different and i think that traditional viewpoint of we should be using the one size fits all um, hopefully this kind of shows that skincare needs to be far more individualized so yeah hopefully that wasn't too much information joe but um hopefully nerdy enough about skincare and how why it's all different <laughs> i just love the way you're so passionate about it i love it and i'm sure people have learned loads of things i've learned loads from you so thank you joe radiotherapy goes through the skin obviously to treat the target area um, from a radiobiology perspective, what happens when it goes through the skin? Oh, so time for me to get my geek on. So 
Actually, when we talk about radiobiology, it's really interesting because it is not necessarily biology, it's more about the physics. So radiation causes ionisation of atoms, um, which in turn then affects the molecules and the cells, tissues, organs and the entire body. So it's always easy to kind of link with our biological effect of radiation, but actually it is the physics and it's the ionisation where atoms forming the cells are affected and then that in turn causes the biological effect. So even though we know this, the biological professors have characterised the radiation effects into direct and indirect effect. So if the radiation affects the atoms in a DNA, it's actually referred to as direct action. Um, Although this is actually a really rare type of interaction. And if the DNA is damaged in a cancer cell, then it may no longer have the ability to reproduce or undertake any necessary um, functions that it needs to be able to actually sustain the life of that cell, which is ultimately why radiotherapy works. Um, Indirect action is actually where the H2O, so the water molecules, are affected. So a cell is largely made up of water, around 70%. And so that means that the chances of radiation breaking those bonds that hold the water molecules together are far greater. Um, When a water molecule breaks, what essentially then happens is they form fragments of hydrogen and hydroxyls. Um, And these can recombine to just form water or they can actually then form with other fragments or ions um, and produce toxic substances such as hydrogen peroxide, um, which that then in turn can destroy the cell. Um, And that can be called cell death or known as apoptosis. Um, Hydrogen peroxide is actually used in our body's own immune system and it's a way to kill microorganisms Um, and actually the byproduct of hydrogen peroxide can be to produce hydroxyl radicals which in turn can cause damage um, to uh, macromolecules um, and then that in itself can then kill cells um, or cause apoptosis. Um, Living cells aren't all equal to radiation, Um, so those cells that are actively reproducing are much more sensitive than those that are not, Um, and this is because dividing cells require the correct DNA in order to actually produce daughter cells, Um, and then a direct interaction of radiation with any active cell could result in death or the mutation of a cell, whereas direct interaction with the DNA of a dormant cell would have less of an effect. So what I mean by that is that when we have living cells, they can be classified according to their rate of reproduction, um, and that can therefore indicate their relative sensitivity um, to the radiation, which means that different cell systems have different sensitivities. So lymphocytes, white blood cells, and cells that produce blood are constantly regenerating and therefore are much more sensitive versus maybe reproductive or gastrointestinal cells that are not generating as quickly and are therefore less sensitive. And then we also have at the very other end of the scale, the nerve and muscle cells, and they're the slowest to regenerate. And so they're the least sensitive cells. Um, So that links really nicely, Naaman, to the the kind of information that you gave us about skin cells because they are constantly dividing and you know you only have to look 
you know, some of those horrific videos that you see of hoovers um, being used on mattresses and see how many skin cells we shed over the course of a year. Um, I secretly really love them. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty disgusting to think of how many skin cells we shed every single day. Um, thankfully, when we um, are exposed to radiation, our normal cells have an amazing ability to repair any damage. So not all radiation effects are irreversible. So we see some of our patients with short-term effects from the radiotherapy, such as skin erythema, hair loss, irritation of bladder or bowel. Um, and in many instances, that's that's because of the short-term damage that's happened to the cells, but they are able to repair themselves um, and then function normally. However, if the damage is severe enough, then the affected cell actually dies. And in some instances, the cell may be damaged but can still reproduce. Um, so the daughter cells may be lacking in some of the critical life-sustaining components that they need and will therefore then go on to um to die or or go through apoptosis the other possible result of radiation exposure is that the cells affected in such a way that it doesn't die but it is simply mutated um, and then that mutated cell then has the ability to go and reproduce um, and then perpetuates the mutation um, and this obviously can then lead on to malignant tumors which is why x-rays are known to have damaging properties to cells and that's why we have to be careful about how many how many uh, ct scans patients have or how many x-rays patients go for um, and usually that low level radiation can go on to mutate cell cells and cause cancer much later on in life however i have to say that you know from the research we are talking about hundreds of ct scans not just one or two so you know patients shouldn't ever be scared about going for diagnostic tests but we do see pediatric patients who've had radiotherapy and um, because the doses are much higher go on to develop later cancer as a result of the mutations that occurred through radiotherapy um so it, it's one of the consequences of treatment, unfortunately. So I hope I hope that explains a little bit about what happens at a cellular level without going too much into uh, molecular biology. Loved it. I think I could ask you to keep going on and on and on. So Naaman, what makes a skin reaction worse? And do all the treatment sites um, get a skin reaction? Everyone will have a different risk factor. So... The risk factors that can make a skin reaction worse um, or more severe will vary between people. So we kind of split them into two things, so intrinsic or extrinsic. Uh, I'm hoping to say this the right way around. Intrinsic is not in the patient's control. Extrinsic is sometimes in the patient's control. So intrinsic would be if, um, so what type of treatment we're offering them. So are they going to have chemotherapy at the same time or any other kind of immunotherapy or hormone treatment? Or is the radiation dose going to be a lot higher than for some other treatment areas? Um, extrinsic factors would be, uh, does the patient smoke, for example, or their nutritional status or any comorbidities? So things such as diabetes, which can reduce blood flow and then raise, uh, or sorry, increase skin reactions or high blood pressure. Just these certain different things that sometimes can be in the patient's control, but um, such as smoking, or if they drink or things like that, but we, we need to know to go with. And some cancer sites won't get um, 
maybe a skin reaction at all because of the advancements in technology so skin sparing or where we're ensuring that the skin gets a lot less dose and the that where we want to treat so the target volume gets most of the dose but some places so like a head neck patient um or a breast patient or sometimes skin cancers um they can have quite severe skin reactions but that's just because of sometimes the skin's a bit thinner there also they're getting a lot higher dose overall compared to some treatments um some gynecological or anal cancers they can have um some skin reactions in the natal cleft uh, which can be quite severe but i mean you can get a skin reaction from a little as two gray so gray is obviously a, the uh the unit of measurement we use for radiotherapy but you can after getting sort of two gray a very small amount of radiation dose so that could be within a couple of hours after treatment and um, you can notice sort of redness or as i explained earlier darkening of the skin but usually it's all about accumulation so some patients might notice that it's a gradual pinker or darker within the area um, right up to the end of treatment and if not we know from evidence that it's about 10 to 14 days after radiotherapy skin reactions can peak but they can go on longer than this so this is where the risk factors come in so patients who've had chemotherapy for example that we know through evidence that they can have a skin reaction for longer or the skin reaction can take longer to heal but knowing these factors to begin with so even if if you're a patient you're listening and you're going for your treatment if you let them know about you know we should ask you anyway but just in case do you smoke and it's really important to be honest um because firstly we will know if patients are for example still continuing to smoke and yes it can be a coping mechanism but the you know it reduces the amount of oxygen flowing around it can cause some of like oxidative stress and that can really amplify a skin reaction um so some risk factors are more commonly understood such as smoking to know that it's going to cause a bit more of a reaction So Naaman, you've got hundreds of therapeutic radiographers listening to the podcast. You've got some patients who might be going through radiotherapy or about to or have even had radiotherapy. What is the advice? So I think skincare, if you've worked in it, especially in radiotherapy, has been debated and researched for decades. It's very difficult to come to a full consensus across because I think from experience, lots of departments do something slightly differently. But in 2020, the Society and College of Radiographers produced some wonderful evidence-based research kind of literature. So for staff to learn about radiotherapy, so not just therapeutic radiographers, but uh, nursing staff, allied health professionals, clinicians as well to understand what actually happens. And again, touching on the risk factors. So what can make a skin reaction worse and why we should be recording it early, but also the more importantly for patients. So something that's friendly to read and understand. I think in healthcare, we often get sidetracked or We'll go into too much detail like we always do joe um, and we can make patients feel a bit overwhelmed with what the information we're giving them but the society through like a steering group came up with some leaflets which obviously will link here and they're being used by quite a few departments across the country so it goes through some of maybe the generic advice so why you need to drink more so as joe you've kind of explained cells made up of water they need hydration and that can really help with skin the drier your skin is for example if someone has diabetes or let's say eczema, sometimes the skin's really dry and that can cause the radiotherapy reaction to be amplified because the skin's not able to heal as quickly. But some of this advice is in that leaflet um, and also some of the myths around what cream is better than others. Um, obviously, this isn't personalised advice, but really we want to empower patients to make a choice. Um, if a patient's been wearing a cream for 20 plus years, you don't want to suddenly say, oh, go and buy this cream, that's X amount of money. Some patients, you know, you're introducing something new to their skin which isn't always a good thing 
So if they've been doing something already, this is exactly what the leaflets say, they should just continue to do that until and unless they have a reaction within the radiotherapy treatment area. And then that's when the local department can utilise the skills you know, that they have of the managing of a skin reaction, for example. So skin reactions aren't always avoidable, but they can be prophylactically managed or getting the skin ready even prior to radiotherapy, such as using a, a moisturiser. Um, there is a lot around aloe vera gels as well. I think at the moment patients are using these more often. Again, this isn't personalised advice, but generically the evidence does show that aloe vera, as long as it's pure, 99.9% .9 is very beneficial for skin um, so yeah the, the leaflets I love them I think something moving forward I'm quite lucky to be leading some of the research with society college of radiographers for this is around cultural differences so not every culture will follow skincare or have skincare kind of guidelines and management the same way um, so sometimes it depends on how oily the skin is so um, darker skin tone patients might be using kind of a shea butter thicker which really helps moisturize the skin um, which is fine um and some Mediterranean patients that I've come across use olive oil for their normal skincare, which is a bit of a no-no for radiotherapy, but it's about guiding patients to make informed choices using evidence. So I think, yeah, if you want to direct people as much as possible to these leaflets, that'd be really, really beneficial. So Naaman, I know um, as a therapeutic radiographer, I always used to advise patients to put their cream in the fridge. Um, because you can find that with the radiation skin reaction, the skin can become slightly warm and irritated, um, and sometimes having a cooling cream can help. Um, I also know that from the leaflets, it, it definitely says don't apply kind of cold compresses or you know frozen peas or any of the gels um, that I know that you can kind of get that are cooling now. Um, what would your advice be? So this is another kind of area that is debated. Um, lots of people have their own opinions about it. There isn't enough research to say that putting the cream in the fridge um, isn't a good thing. I think when it comes to cold compressors or ice, for example, because that's over a prolonged period of time. So for example, let's say you sprain your ankle, you put the ice on, you know, you follow the rice technique, rest, ice, compress, elevate for however long. So doing that, it will help reduce the blood flow to the area, which for radiotherapy healing, we don't want. Um, we want the blood flow to come into that area. So as you said, bag of peas, um, always a good one. Those sort of things is probably a no. For me and with clinicians that I've worked with, um, and especially some skincare specialists and dermatologists, having a cold cream, even if it's for small amount of relief for a patient who's having a, a radiotherapy reaction, personally I, I think it's okay because it's such a small short amount of time if that cold effect lasts for let's say a minute for example until your body heat heats up anyway for that one minute that lack of blood flow I don't think is going to have a big effect on the, the bigger picture if it's going to give a patient relief um, within uh, you know a skin reaction area I think that's okay and actually in the dermatology field um, so not specifically for radiotherapy but lots of topical agents, creams, antifungals, they're supposed to be in the fridge so that when they come on, they do soak in and they give that instant relief in the area. And actually psychologically, I think that's really important. If a patient is having a skin reaction and they're at home and the cream isn't doing anything, or if they're having a cold shower and they're still really irritable, I think psychologically as well, putting the cream in the fridge, having that kind of cooling effect, I think it's, it's really beneficial. So until there's more research, that's what I would advise. And I know there's lots of clinicians who advise it too, and healthcare professionals. So Naaman, 
as with all of our podcasts, we always end with top tips. So what top tips would you give for listeners around skincare? Um, so there's so much to say. Um, I think it's difficult to narrow them down specifically, but I think let's start with the patients first. So, um, you know, if you're a patient about to go for radiotherapy or you know someone who might be going for radiotherapy, it's really important to consider getting your skin ready for treatment as you would if you're going to go and have surgery, for example. Um, you know, there's lots of evidence in prehabilitation and I don't see why skincare shouldn't come into that. So if you haven't been using a moisturiser for a long time or you don't use it within the treatment area, it might be start might be worth considering this. Uh, you can obviously speak to a dermatologist or even your treatment kind of review team. So when you go for your scan, so your pre-treatment appointment where you're going to have a CT scan or a skin markup if you're having skin radiotherapy, um, it's important just to have a conversation um, about what you can use um, to products. As I said, there isn't one specific product that's any better than the other. So if you've been using one for a while or you have one at home that you've used before, just use that one. Um, that's what I would say. So that's really important, getting it ready. I think the lifestyle advice, especially if you're smoking, um, I know some patients use it as a coping mechanism, but it's really, really important to cut it down because it can really amplify a skin reaction. Uh, and ultimately, we want to make sure you get through the treatment um, some side effects are unavoidable but psychologically as well you know we've Joe you and I have both have spoken to quite a few patients who've had bad skin reactions that does unfortunately stick with you and I think we want to try and help avoid that as much as possible whatever happens though I think from a healthcare prof professional perspective we're always going to be here to support you um, so talk to your therapeutic radiographers um, have a read of this, the Society and College of Radiographers patient skin care leaflets um, and the last couple of things just for patients is sun care advice um, any area that's been treated by radiotherapy is always going to be more susceptible to sun damage um, just because it's been treated by radiation. Um, so it's important that when you're having treatment, try and keep it as best covered. Um, sometimes that isn't always easy. And try and avoid at all costs while you're having radiotherapy and in the couple of weeks after radiotherapy to put any sun cream in the area because the metallic elements in sun cream can really amplify and make the skin reaction worse. Once the treatment's over and you've recovered, so maybe two or three weeks afterwards, you can start applying sun cream, but it should always be factor 50 and above um, and make sure they're, I'd say, probably more, the more expensive ones that have been um, looked at and researched. So some of them might have a CRUK stamp, so a Cancer Research UK stamp on it, saying they're protective for UVA and UVB radiation. So exactly as I explained at the start, there's two main types of radiation. You don't just want to be covered by one, you need to be covered, by, covered for both Um so yeah, and I think healthcare professionals, students, if you're listening, just remember, you need to ask the patient what they use. We need to empower patients. It's not about you always giving them advice. Um, you know, I can give all the advice to a patient, but if it's not something that fits in with their normal routine, I think we need to really take that into consideration um, and showcase the evidence behind the lifestyle changes. Just telling a patient to stop smoking isn't enough. You need to explain why and what the, the consequences of that might be. Um, and also... Sorry, Joe. Going on and on. I'm turning into you now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just, just to say, just for healthcare professionals and patients that remember the differences between a skin reaction, um, kind of between patients. So lighter skin tones, yes, it can look redder and it can look redder quicker uh, than darker skin tone patients. But on darker skin tones, it'll be more pigmented or darker when there's that kind of um, erythema or redness effect. So it's important to to notice it and yeah. You know, you can have a skin reaction after the first appointment. It, it's normal. It doesn't mean it has to be one or two weeks into radiotherapy, but just listen to your patients. 
sorry joe <laughs> i was trying to squeeze in as much as i could before you came in there stopped me um but i'm going to throw it back to you what would your top tips be around this area yeah so i was going to say about um sun advice as well and um, definitely making sure you get your five stars on the back of your your products um they don't always have to be expensive i know i use aldi sunscreen on my sun because it's uh, uva uvb protected four pounds for a big jar he hates the fact that he has to have it on every single day i always slather him in it that's what having a therapeutic radiographer mum does to you um for Patients, I would say on a daily basis when you're about to go through cancer treatment, whether that is radiotherapy, chemotherapy or any other type of of treatment, you'll often find healthcare professionals ask the question, how are you today? It can seem like a really generalised question, but I promise you we are interested in the answer. Um, And maybe as therapeutic radiographers, we need to be much more specific and say, how is your skin today? How are you feeling but from you know both sides, it's just really important that you have those conversations. If it's starting to feel tingly or it's keeping you awake at night, you know that's the information that we really need to know because again, we can help and support um, patients. Um, and obviously, from the other perspective, having a patient say that they are having those types of reactions allows us to be able to kind of offer that personalised care. Um, For any students listening and for any radiographers that have been qualified for a long, long time and have maybe used the same skincare advice since they qualified, it's about doing and undertaking continual professional development. Things change, um, adaptations in the technology and the software um, invariably actually change the reactions. You know, when we're seeing patients now having proton therapy, the skin reaction is much more severe. So I think it is really important to ensure that the advice and support that we're offering patients is in line with changes that are happening clinically. Um, And that's really important as well. So not as many as you, Naaman, but still, I think, pertinent uh, top tips, I hope. Okay, so thank you all for listening to Rad Chat. Your hosts today have been myself, Joe McNamara, and my co-host, Naaman Jolka Anderson. Thank you for listening and take care. <laughs>